Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Girls podcast. I'm Denise O'Flaherty and joining me this evening to review the league finals and to talk about the year so far is former Mio All-Ireland winning captain Diana O'Hora and former Donegal player Nadine Doherty. So welcome girls. Thanks Denise. How are you? A grand. So listen, before we start though talking about football, we at Sports Girls podcast and Sports Talk would like to pass on our sympathies to the family and friends of the late Eugene McGee who sadly passed away in the early hours of this morning. We all know Eugene as the man that managed awfully to that All-Ireland football title back in 1982, stopping the famed Kerry side from completing a five in a row. He was a fantastic journalist too. He was editor and manager of the Longford Leader, as well as working for other publications and someone I held in very high esteem. And like myself, he was a very proud Longford person too. You can talk so much about Eugene and he will be missed by all that knew him. R.S.J. Garawa Anam Dealish. So we'll talk about the games. Uh, Nadine, you spoke about how important the free takers were going to be for Antrim and for Mana, and you mentioned how they were in their semi-final wins. Well, Emer Smith scored that winning point in Fermanagh's win yesterday over Antrim in the Division 4 final. Yeah, it was funny that it did come down to a free. Um, very entertaining game, in fairness, and a very tight game, as we had predicted. Um I predicted for Mana. I was actually so glad that Cork won today because otherwise I would have been a zero from four in terms of predictions. So that was a relief. I was thinking um, of you I, too. Yeah, yeah, but um, and I did. I, I suppose with that answer for Mana match, my thinking was it was going to be really tight, and I did think yeah. that Sean O'Kane might just have that bit mm. of magic on the sideline. But um, fair play to for Mana and fair play to the free taker who who kept her cool and slotted it over. Um, so they'll be delighted with that. They really will because they're kind of a mixed bag for Fermanagh so far this year and even last year. So that'll give them a great lift going into the championship now. Yeah, you know yourself, Diane, about these league wins. You've done it with Longford back when Longford won the Division 4 and it kind of gave them a bit of a lift going into the championship. And that's exactly what Fermanagh would like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Fermanagh are regrouping, you know, the last couple of years. But I suppose there's a few things that they haven't lost is uh, their determination, I think. You know, and they really, they have some very, very sharp forwards in there. And, um, you know, they're always looking for the ball off the shoulders. They look to be coached very well as well. Um, in saying that, you know, Antrim should have been a little bit more aware of, you know, how many seconds were left on the clock. Yes. And probably should have got more people back with a little bit more discipline. But, you know, it's Division 4 and it's really going to stand to them as well. But for Mana, definitely, like, you know, they did very well. They were well ahead for a while as well. Um, and... As Nadine said, it was a very competitive game. It was good. There was some great, you know, great scores from play and free takers again, as you were talking about. Um, you know, some of the stuff as well that you'd be looking at would be probably like the zone defending. Um, I suppose on both sides. Um, it just, it just looked kind of very not really done with purpose. Whereas when you look at Cork and Galway today in the Division One, you can kind of, you can see exactly what they're trying to do. So, but again, it was a great, it was a great Division Four final and the best two teams made it there, I guess. That's exactly it. We move on to Division 3, and I'll start with you, uh, Diane, your former team. Mees, uh, they defeated Sligo in the Division 3 final. You know, we all expected uh, me to do it. Um, thought Sligo would put up a bit of a fight, but when you look at the calibre of players that Mees have. Yeah, like, you know, and again, you're looking at the forwards, like these were the ones that won an under-16 title with them. Um, with, with Peter um, burned there about five, four or five years ago. Mm. And they're all up now playing senior, like, and it's brilliant for them. Like, there's five, I think there's five minors, and 
you know, when you're up by as much as Mead were like 10 minutes into the second half and even five minutes into the second half, with those guys, with those five minors playing a final tomorrow, <laughs> that would probably be in my mind. Yeah. I'd want to be trying to rest two or three of them, especially, um, as opposed to changing other positions. Now, I can understand that they might want to see other girls or the field that other senior players training, you know, that they want to get some time into them or see them for a few minutes and reward them for their commitment. But, um, yeah, I, I'd have probably rested the minors. But in saying that as well, I mean, we tipped Mead from the very start. Yeah. They, were, they were putting up really good results. Um, from Sligo's point of view, they'd be really disappointed. They kept kicking the ball away time after time yeah. from their own defensive 30-yard line. And it's just, it's really unusual. Like, if you do it once or twice, fair enough. But it's not really forgivable when you continue launching attacks at the halfway line, giving the ball to me. So, um, you know, I think, I, you know, I felt bad for them there as well. And Noel Gormley was a huge loss. Yeah. Um, goals. You know, and no disrespect to the keeper that was put in, but just Noel has experience and leadership. She's captain Sligo, I don't know how, how many times. So that did, that certainly kind of went against them. And so they never stopped trying. They show great, great commitment to, you know, finishing the game strong and working hard for each other. So, um, it'll be tough on them to lift themselves now for Roscommon in Championship in a week's time. That's exactly it. Nadine, um, you thought that Sligo could maybe surprise me. The thing about me is, once they sniff something out and they get that first goal, they ju- go for the jugular. Yeah, and they really did. You know, and only Noel before going off made those yeah. few brilliant saves. It, it could have been much worse. Um, I'd probably disagree with Anne with Sligo. I thought Sligo gave up after about 20 minutes. Um, I felt their defending was absolutely shocking. I mean, there wasn't even basic defensive skills on show. Um, Mees were going through them like, a knife with butter. People weren't tracking back. Um, people weren't even doing their own job and their own player. And their transition from defence to attack. With all due respect to an under-14 or an under-16 team, but that's that's what it looked like. There was absolutely no leadership from anywhere on the pitch. Um, they were hand-passing the ball to me. Um, and as Diane said earlier, they were kicking aimlessly. Actually, the only way they, they kind of got a bit of momentum was when me started changing things around, perhaps, and the game had wound down, and you nearly naturally get a few scores with that. Yeah. But I just thought the body language after 10, 15 minutes, was, it was gone, which was so disappointing, because I really thought with Sligo, with those experienced players that they have, you know, and the few quality players up front, that they really could have sneaked it. Um, but yet, not fair play to me, like they were the better team by far, and I think that hit Sligo hard going forward. Um, I mean, if I was on that Sligo team, I'd kind of be questioning, where are we going now? Because that was just, it was shocking stuff, really. It was hard to watch. To be honest, I find it very hard to watch after 20 minutes. But um, no, me, though, definitely going confidence from that. And I mean, if you were to look at that that whole divisional display from me, it'd be very hard to stop them now come championship if they, if they keep that momentum. Last year, they lost that league final. And then they also lost the All-Ireland final. So I think they took from those defeats. And that's what you have to do. You have to learn from defeats like that. And that's exactly what me done this year. And they, I don't think that, I don't think Mead really, you know, whereas by age, they're young. But they've been successful, like in Leinster. They've gone to All Ireland semi finals yeah. <clears throat> stages. All most a lot of these girls, like on the meet team, and you're looking at players like like Emma Duggan is oh, class act. Yeah, she's both class. feet. She's yeah. both feet like, and she's Dunboyne player. And I mean, there's five girls there from Dunboyne that would be coached really well, and with both feet all the time. You're looking at the two walls, like Sarah and Vicky. Like they're incredible players. Kelsey Nesbitt then from Simon's, yeah. she just just runs away with it. So, I mean, just the power that they had up front. Um, and, and then you're looking at the likes of Avon Cleary and defence, Sarah Wall. Like, when they're attacking the ball, 
you know, I suppose that was what stood out. Like, Sligo kicking the ball away to these guys who potentially you could put them in a half-forward line if you felt like it. But they're so good at defending. Like, they're so clean. There was a couple of referee decisions that I just was really curious about. But, you know, uh, I'll have a look at the rule book for that. But I just think that just the, the speed of what they're just at a different level than Sligo. Diane, actually, they're probably at a different level than a lot of teams. Well, definitely teams in Division 3 and probably a lot of the intermediate teams. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose they've proven it like the whole way through the league. They're clocking up score after yeah. score, you know, against teams that it's going to be really interesting when you see them out against Kildare and Tipperary. You know, like they're kind of teams that I, I'll be really looking forward to seeing those games, you know, because um, Kildare probably after Monday, they'll have a few of the minors back into their senior panel because they've been they've been exempt from playing senior. And that's very fair in what Kildare have done. And from once those players go back in and play up, we'll say, It'll, it'll be really interesting to see what... Longford actually have them in the first round. So that would be a nice, tasty game because yeah. Longford have a good few yeah. minors there. Nadine... Not half meat will be at that game, I'd say. I probably will to, ha- to have a look and see. Nadine, yeah. the old adage, goals win games, rang true with Waterford defeating Kerry today and gaining promotion to Division 1. Yeah, fair play to Waterford again. I got that one absolutely wrong. But you um, did say that they were building and you did have high hopes for Waterford. You yeah, probably oh, just came too soon, yeah. Yeah, I just thought Kerry would, would stop. But just to start with Waterford, I mean, they were, as you said, clinical in attack. Um, there was some really great finishing. I mean, Michelle Ryan's goal started off like that just set the tone. There, there was no stopping that. I just thought with Waterford too, they'd pace all over the pitch. They just yeah. had hunger. They had hunger to get back to Division 1 and, and that was kind of the difference really. You know, they themselves possibly had questionable defending at times. Um, you know, got, Kerry didn't take as as much of what they could have and they still scored 117. Um, yeah. But even with their questionable defending, they still worked really hard. Um, whereas with Kerry, I mean, what? I, I, I didn't think it could get worse than Sligo. Um, but Kerry certainly topped that absolutely diabolical defensive performance. Um, I mean, that would be a great video analysis of how not That's to defend. There was no shape. There was no pushing up on the ball. There was loads of pointing. You go here and you go there. There was no tracking back. Um, At one point, their centre half forward had kind of jogged back around the 45 and just just watched somebody um, um, run past her. It was kind of a Man United effort, I felt. Um, and in and, and fairness to, to carry though, their forward play, like 117 was usually Great score, game, yeah. You know, if, if your defenders do their job, which they didn't, and that with Kerry too, they probably missed another 3-5, I'd say, but they were very unlucky um, with a few shots on the goal line, like Waterford did brilliantly in the first half and the second half to scramble balls off the line, and that, that could have made a difference, but overall, Kerry, they were just really, really poor. Um, and, and Waterford, no, fair, fair play to them, deserving of the win, just, I suppose, mentioning people in particular I thought were outrageous, where the two Murrays were absolutely brilliant. Um, wall up front, um, Michelle Ryan, as I mentioned before, yeah, um, really thought she was brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, they probably Waterford probably did enough in the first half to withstand that Kerry pressure that was. We always knew it was going to happen. Second yeah. half, yeah. And what Waterford did brilliantly, I thought, in the second half, they just utilised that space that they knew they'd have, and they just kept picking off scores here and there, and then got a few goals in the second half. Um, but you know, overall, it was a really open game of football. Um, 
as I said, not quality defend, defensively, but um, really, really good to watch. And Waterford scored with nearly every attack, um, but entertaining overall, but just defensive nightmares. Um, I think both teams will have to sort that out going into championship or it'll be a short summer. Diane, um, Nadine mentioned about hunger, and that's something that you know, you know, can win or lose a game for you if you have that hunger and drive that you want to succeed. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose, as Nadine was saying there, with the scores that Michelle started off with, you know, and Aileen Mall and Marie Delahunty pushed up with more scores. Yeah. And after that, Kerry became desperate in a sense. Like, you know, they probably in the entire game, I think, missed seven goal chances, which obviously is a credit to the, the Waterford keeper. Not, not all those were saved, but she did enough and their defence did enough to get back and protect the goal. And you could see the frustration in the Kerry forwards that, they just couldn't score a goal for the life of them and they needed it like with the deficit. Um, <clears throat> at that point then as well, you know, you're looking at, I mean, solution finding. So what are they going to do? And then, as Nadine was saying there, they just were losing ball after ball. Like the forwards, um, you know, on the on the Waterford team, they worked so hard mm. to really push up on kickouts, disrupt the ball coming out. I mean, Kerry couldn't get into the flow whatsoever. Whereas, you know, the forwards then came deep, as Nadine was saying as well, to try and get the ball kicked into space. Like it was just, a, you know, whether it was a plan or not, like Kerry just needed to change things up fairly fast. And did you feel sorry? That, did you feel that like Kerry had no plan? Like it, it literally looked like they had absolutely no plan. I don't think that, that a plan B had there really. Well, yeah, there was no plan B, but it, it kind of looked as well that it was like, look, lads, we're probably going to win this. Let's just go out here and play football. Mm. And then when that plan, as you said, like didn't work, yeah. there was no plan. But there just didn't seem to be any structure to anything whatsoever. Yeah, else, I don't know. What did you think? Uh, or else Waterford just completely disrupted every single player, you know, from a, a build-up um, point of view with what Kerry were trying to do. Because they couldn't get the ball out. Mm. They couldn't get it out mm. clean. And they'd worked so hard for it. And when they got the ball up to the forward line, they were probably looking for Louise Murherty, um, Hannah Donoghue. Like, they're probably Donahue, looking for yeah, these guys yeah. all the time. Like, And, you know... They were being marked very well. So it was a case that Kerry were going back to the, I suppose, what they're really good at. We know Louise is really good at it as well as shooting from range. Um, they did get the ball in there, but they couldn't execute it. You know, mm. and I know there was like an eight-point loss, but potentially it could have been a lot more. Oh, yeah. It didn't feel like an eight-point loss. You know, from watching it, it felt like double that nearly. You know, it was the life was sucked out of that match by half-time, yeah. really. More in Kerry's behalf, I suppose. And when you were talking about wanting it more, absolutely, definitely. Oh, yeah. Appeared to want it more. Every single player on the pitch and every girl that come on, there was yeah. just an intent in their face, you know, to, to get across the line. And when I think about Watford, I think about the walls and yeah. Ross and Ryan, yeah. Olivia Butler, like people we know as well from Learn to Lead. And now you have a brand new, uh, you know, bunch of names, like Michelle Ryan, obviously. She was a nearly, you could nearly say a one-trick pony because for the last so many years, she was playing in foot forward. So we were just waiting for the high ball to go into her. Like, everything's changed, like, you know. Yeah, and she's adapted with that. Yeah, exactly. And diagonal balls are coming out to her. She's, you know, the ball's come back out. She's switching it across. Watford looked up for every pass they were making, and their forward line kind of came to meet the ball and then looked for the ball over the top. And a lot of their scores came from running play, which is a great skill. And they're not, they wouldn't be, you know, tall players by any means in the full forward line. But No, no. Um, yeah, the movement really was fantastic. Their movement on the forward line. It was kind of like that old Waterford football um you know, that those high scores, Waterford would always put up those high scores of five something or whatever it is. But defensively they probably would never concede more than five points. 
you know, when that's running Johnny all out in finals. Yeah, well, yeah, well, come the ladder, yeah, well, maybe come the ladder stages in All-Ireland Final, but back when, you know, they were top and, and even yeah. Bally McCarbery and those kind of teams, they're kind of back to playing that, that kind of football because they have the quality to play it. Like, there's real quality in Waterford now. There really, yeah, really is. Be yeah, You mentioned, yeah, Nadine, about the structures that, be, that are being put in place. Are we seeing some of them now? I'd imagine so, yeah, because Waterford went to a very dark place in terms of yeah. football um, when they got relegated, you know, when they went down divisions and they went down to intermediate. Um, so the panic, I suppose, button was pressed down there and they came up with structures, but they were patient with them and it was kind of a slow burner with their, their building. So, yeah, they'll be delighted with what's happening now. And I'm sure underage, they're continuing with those structures so that it's not just a short-term solution and that it's not short-term success with the senior team, that it's going to be sustainable and they'll be introducing new players every year, be it two or three. Um, I noticed today, too, they have a big backroom team, which says a lot um, of how a team intends to set up for the year. You know, there was seven or eight people there on the sideline covering everything they mentioned in their speech after from strength and conditioning all the way up to management so yeah they definitely are going in the right direction well Diane after a year without silverware Cork claimed the division one title do Galway flatter to deceive um well I think I suppose when you look at Galway like they have you know they talked about this tag that you guys talked about in the podcast last week as well is that they're always like the nearly team yeah and no matter you know even if you use those words they're going to reminisce in your head, you know, before you go out because you're, there's an element of, I don't want to be the nearly team. So you're almost using the phraseology yeah. of nearly team in your head before you go out on the pitch. And I think that they're, they're going to have to get over that, like, you know, somewhere or another. They need to start using different type of language, whatever, because players shouldn't, I, I'd rather players didn't use that language because, you know, when other people here or other players and members of the panel are, you know, th- th- this is, shouldn't be a conversation. You know, it should be exactly what we're going to do to win this match. And I'd have to say from a Cork point of view, probably thought they should have won by more. Yeah. At times, I didn't know what they needed to do to get a free. I genuinely, I just, I, I was just so confused. Like, the Cork players were getting charged. I, al- I always thought, and maybe I'm wrong, and I, you know, and I, I probably shouldn't be saying something if I think that I might be wrong, but I always thought a, yellow, a pull of the jersey, you know, when a player was, was running wasn't just a free. I thought it was a yellow card. Now, maybe that's changed. Um, I'll have a look at it but um, you know Kira Sullivan was incredible and they didn't have anyone that had even you know a chance to mark her her movement was so good it was so fast she was strong carrying the ball um, Galway defended the first half it threw everybody back and that's frustrating yeah. but then sure Cork had that against Dublin Dublin did the same thing against them so you know really Dublin was a rehearsal for today if you know if that was the case and then the second half Cork started playing Galway at their own game and dropping everyone back Um the penalty was probably probably not the right person taking the penalty. Um, you know, you think so, but she, I mean, she plays kicks from the ground for free, so would you know? Yeah, would you not think she, that she has a decent strike of the ball to. Well, I suppose Neve Ward would be kind of more renowned for taking penalties as well, and she would have a great strike. But I suppose people free takers are looking to lift the ball, and yeah, it was a, it was a poor strike. Yeah, yeah. So, Nadine, um, you look at the squad of players, like the players that come off the bench for Cork. Oh yeah, like you know when when you're Galway and 
you're trying to build momentum and you see Saoirse Noonan and Ronan Nihukla coming on yeah. to see out the 15 minutes and we got I mean Noonan's goal such outrageous skill I don't know if you watched the replays over she oh, literally beautiful. tapped the ball with her left onto her right left hand onto her right foot and volleyed it but her contribution I felt was significant in those last 15 minutes even when she wasn't on the ball her movement was brilliant and the few frees the court got near the end yeah. she was the one running over telling people to put the ball down to slow it down absolutely brilliant um, I thought Galway you know what like, I probably was overcritical of them last week in the podcast I think Galway played probably 90% of their full potential today like I don't think really they could have done a huge amount better against Cork Cork were just a much much better team um, defensively they set up very deep as Diane said before mm. And I mean, Donegal got slated for that last year against Cork. There was outrage everywhere because Donegal put 13 players behind the ball. Um, Dublin did it last week. Galway did it today. And there's no real mention of that being an awful thing to do. They were very compact. <laughs> but they were they were very compact, very deep. You know, they were compact inside the D. Um, and Cork just recycled. Cork got runners at pace. They worked the wings. They were really patient. You knew they'd just wait for the right time. They had one wide today. Like, that's all they had the whole day was one wide. So, I mean, Cork, playing that against Cork, yeah, it's probably the best thing to do and you have to do it. But they're so used to it now at this stage. Like, every team does it against them. The Mornabi girls probably face it week in, week out with the club in Cork. And they're the people pulling strings up front. Um, But I just thought Cork had an answer to everything that Galway yeah. did um, even kickouts in fairness to Galway I thought they marked the space really well on kickouts they put pressure on Cork to find the player kind of deeper in the pitch usually Cork might go short they totally cut that out so Galway they were organised you know they were prepared they brought pace they had work rate they went 100% they just fell short against a much much better team you know that's Diane, we spoke, myself and Nadine spoke last week about Cork and I suppose maybe it was more important for Galway to win this because Cork will be Cork come championship. But I think they've signalled their intent for this year, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as Nadine was saying there, like with the substitutes um, that they brought on, you'd have to hand it to Gerald as well. It was the timing of them that was good. Yes. Because, you know, they just got a Simbin. I think actually, or had they just one coming in, and then they actually suffered another Simbin just after um, Sirish Noonan had come in. So it almost nearly cancelled out the deficit. You put a little bit of, I suppose, um, power up front in terms of her ability and the damage that she can do, and you can try and maybe, and the fresh legs as well, and you can kind of counteract the fact that you're losing someone. So whether it was his timing or not, he was always going to probably bring her on at that time, but it just made, just made it much better for Cork because. That goal, yeah, and I saw the replay. It was absolutely brilliant. One of the things that I'd be kind of looking at, I suppose, because I, you know, have an interest in coaching or whatever, is when teams play this zone defence, like that's good, and you could see them moving side to side when the diagonal balls were being switched across left to right. The only concern for me is these players can do that, and they know what they're doing when they do that. But obviously, the attack that you know Cork would have to put on Galway has to be a player running, and they just seemed really lacking then in their man-to-man tackling ability and they're defending when that happened. You know, like, they might need to squeeze a little bit closer to each other and, you know, stand them up. 
but Cork will always look for the runner off the shoulder and that's where Kiro Sullivan just completely dictated the play. And I think that if, if, from Galway's point of view, if they're doing the stone defending and tactically that worked out great at times, um, teams will start just chipping the ball over the top and shooting from range, like especially teams like Cork, like with Orla Finn, you know, she can shoot from range. So she'll just wait until, you know, they carry the ball into the tackle, they pop it left, pop it right, and then she'll eventually find space to swing it over. So like, there's a few things there that that they, I'd say Galway will tighten up on now before they meet May on a kind of title. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Kira Sullivan, like I'd always sign with her, she will find space where nobody else can find space in that recycling situation. Like, yeah. you'd, you'd watch her and there might be two or three players around her and the next thing she's gone from them and she slipped a pass through to somebody else. And and you were saying about long-range shooting down, Neve Cotter got a really crucial score yeah. um, around midway through the second half where she launched it from about 35 yards. And then after that, you could see the Galway defence kind of pulling out each time they were defending because they were questioning whether they'd go long range, Cork would shoot from long range yeah. again. They were kind of, you know, a rock in a hard place. Um, and then when that happened, Cork were able to either go through the middle in that space or pop it over the top. Um, and, and you were saying to her, and I agree with you 100%, if you're playing a defensive system, your tackling has to be 100%. Like that's, the both have to go together and Galway probably weren't 100% today. But Cork as well, I would always feel, I don't know if you agree, it's very simple with Cork. Like, Cork have every technical skill in Gaelic football perfected. Like, yeah. if you watch them going into a tackle, every single player, it's two hands on the ball. They're never going to lose a ball in a the tackle. Their hand pass is always perfection to the chest. Their kick pass, if they're delivering it into the forward line, it's always slightly to the left or the right of the forward to give them the advantage. Their tackling technique is generally perfection. And, you know, and their movement on the pitch, their location where they defend on the pitch, I thought today they were tech- tactically brilliant and it's fair play to FU for this. They tackled high up the pitch, like um, wards in midfield, is it? Yeah, Louise Ward in midfield. Yeah. Usually she would kill teams running from deep. The first time we saw her really was when she scored the goal with five minutes to go because Cork stopped her in the middle of the pitch and she didn't get a run on it. And the person who was stopping her every time was Orla Finn. So, like, tactically Cork just yet again got it just bang on. But their yeah. technical skill, because they're technically so good, they don't need massive big systems. I'd say they just tweak their tactics for certain teams and, and that always gets them across the line because they just don't give the ball away. That's, you know, no, that's kind of their way. And you're just saying there about Orla Finn, like, God, did you ever oh. have such a shift? Like, you know, her work rate. Unbelievable. Her work rate. Haven't seen anything like it for a long no. time. You know, to be something you'd be talking about Noel Healy, you know, for doing three years ago, we'll say. And Orla Finn is just really, just yeah. every time she was in, she was in the shot every time nearly tracking back in yeah, because people Just forget that about Orla because, you know, you expect with the scores and that. But if you actually watch her play, her all-round play and off the ball even, as you said about her tracking back and everything, it's just, the girl is exceptional. Oh, her positional sense is incredible, um, be it defending or attacking. And what I love about her, and she's your like coach's dream, and she did it again today. Often, let's say Cork have a shot on goal and then there might be a few blocks on goal. She'll always be the one to loop around, get the ball and take the point. And it's generally crucial scores when, when Cork need them. Um, and you were saying about Noelle Healy, I probably wouldn't even compare her in that sense to Noelle because even though they both cover a lot of ground, 
I'd feel Orla would cover it in a more clever manner, you know, positionally, yeah. Um, Noel will get in the ball and do big solos up the pitch, but Orla will just quietly give and go, and she's such a support to everybody around her. And as well, like, in the next match we see Cork play, Orla mightn't even cross the halfway line. She might be your out-and-out corner forward, um, and that's the beauty about her. She's just so versatile, but just so in- incredible in terms of her thinking. Her football brain is just brilliant. And she probably learned a huge amount from being on the bench for so long for Cork. Like, I think she sat on the bench for about five years. Um, yeah. And I think it was when Valerie, wasn't it? When Valerie must yeah. retired, yeah. I think it was when we saw the first That was when she course. stepped up. So she probably learned so much in, in that space of time to make her the player she is today but she's class and she's so humble as well like she's just fantastic I take it then Nadine you think Orla Finn's good player um, yes I do do you think she's an okay footballer Diane I mean, she's not bad is she As well, on an individual players I thought just to mention for Galway today I thought Sinead Burke had a fantastic match um, she was very unlucky to get Timbin near the end um, she was just really good even though Kira Sullivan had a big um, say on the match I thought Sinead really drove Galway forward at every opportunity um, and you really couldn't question her in terms of everything she did so she was fantastic yeah right ladies I'm going to ask you both um, how the league overall was for you and apart from the teams that obviously won the silverware and were relegated who were your winners and losers in the various divisions Miss O'Hora well I think every team will have probably taken a lot from it mm. Um just if I was looking at Division 1, obviously, I think from my side, my side, you know, from a Mayo point Mayo, of view. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, looking at, looking at Galway, we'll say, um, uh, that's going to be just a straight up kind of final in, I think, five weeks time, six weeks time. And I think the, what you're looking at with that is pretty much the goal would have, as Nadine said, given 90% today, they really wanted to win this. So tactically and technically, everything they could pull out of the bag today was, was probably out of the bag so it, it was a really good opportunity I think to see where they're at um, and they're going to be no easy task for Mayo like from Mayo's point of view I suppose giving them a lot of time to get some training done and to try and you know push on because you know I, with all the new players there they'll have a bunch of girls that wouldn't have had three and four years minor experience or strength conditioning done so this is giving them a chance to try and I suppose physically like improve um, as much as they can in a short space of time I think um, when you're looking at Division 1 as well, you're looking at Cork in Dublin. Like Dublin, like I mean, their ego is going to be really hurt um, after the loss to Cork. So um, as far as I'm aware, and I'm not quite sure if this is true, but it, even, you know, Dublin Club Championship is starting uh, this Wednesday. And I think the Dublin players, you know, they aren't released for the Mondays and Fridays sessions. They're still Ooh. with the county. So if, if that's the case, you can imagine the pressure that... Mm. mentally is going to be on those players if they're not away to their clubs like you know Monday or Friday during because they need that release so, don't they well yeah you'd be you'd well be the clubs need them yeah the clubs need them and yeah. you know, managers or coaches they're trying to I mean from my point of view in Clonagale Fontenot we don't have any county players um, so you know this is just something that I was told yesterday that you know I was asked was, was this true like because if, if that's the case you'll worry about the mental fatigue on these Dublin players. Go back to your friends, go back to the kids you grew up with, go back and enjoy playing club football. Yeah. You know, the pressure is just that little bit less and you get to express yourself maybe that little bit more. Um, but, you know, yeah, I'd hope that that's not true. Um, I think that, you know, Dublin will really probably, you know, they will have high, they would have high, higher expectations. So them not being in the league final, 
they're going to come out blazing like you know the hammers of hell now in a few weeks time again so God I think senior championship like for all those teams that are up there Waterford could throw up a few surprises as well in senior I think mm. you know and from a division one perspective um, it'll be great to see them in there next year and the next um, and you know as you were saying earlier like disappointing for Kerry but I think you know I, like I'm just going to be biased anyway I really think Mayo will be a bit of a surprise package uh, this year Ooh, interesting to hear that. Very interesting, yeah. Nadine, um, you can talk and you can give your, you know, it's great that um, as well as following the lady scene, we also have uh, great pride in our county. So, you know, um, obviously from a Donegal point of view and then overall what Division 1 was like for you. Yeah, so I suppose my highs um, for Division 1 was Donegal beating Dublin. Um Obviously, because I'm a Donegal woman, but I just thought oh, it was a great game of football. Yeah, I re- and I thought it really ticked off the league in style, and it was in Crow Park and under floodlights, and there was just great football and show. Um, I suppose other highs, winners, losers. I suppose winners obviously core the way they built. Um, I think West Meath for me were winners this year too. Mm. They stayed up in Division One. Um, they'd be really, really happy with that, and I think fair play to them because they're in Division One with way less resources I, I feel than other teams and probably not as big a panel as other teams so, so they're definitely winners um, Mayo as well I felt winners for me because they went through a lot last year there was a lot of hype um, there was a lot of hype about their panel and trying out new players and for them to stay up in Division 1 was massive um, Tipperary as well I felt um, definitely winners they gave us a lot to talk about throughout the the league campaign great performances and look Ashling, just you could talk about her as a footballer all day um, I suppose I, d- I don't want to say losers but low points I suppose would be Monaghan being relegated um, just the tradition in Monaghan football I think that was a disappointment for most football fans around the country um, and it was a disappointment for me as well and they'll be disappointed with themselves to be Dublin not in the league final um, and I just felt their, their performances even and their style of football um just wasn't up to what I, I personally would have expected and I thought we'd get but as Diane said they'll definitely be gunning for um, the, the championship and we, we'd probably see a different Dublin come championship so yeah that was kind of Division 1 for me in a nutshell Diane uh, Division 2 so yeah in terms of Division 2 you had Waterford and Kerry and we, we already talked about them today um, you know Leash would have been a football in stronghold for years and years and you know they, they just didn't pull it off and they ended up getting relegated um, from Cavan's point of view, I mean, Waterford talked about it there um, after they got, you know, on receiving care of the ward. I think it was Maria Delahunty who said that the win over Cavan meant to them. And I think that, that that's true in terms of they were always just playing each other. And Cavan, by most, always get, got the better of Waterford. So it was a big step for them beating Cavan. Um, Armagh would be disappointing in a sense because you really, you know, you have this feeling about Armagh that they're, they're always coming really strong. They're doing so much work up there all the time. And they have some really, really good players and, you know, and what they can do is pull games out of the bag. So I think that they'll be disappointed, you know, where they end up that they didn't make it to a final as well as, as well as Cavan. Um, Tyrone as well after, you know, winning Intermediate All-Ireland, they will probably be a little bit disappointed too. But again, you know, the most important thing for them would be to compete in the division as well and to just put their heads down now and move forward. Um, Wexford as well, I think they, they just stayed they just stayed up as well and I suppose with Leash going down that would have been a key win for them 
Um, but overall, Division 2 was very competitive. It did come down to the last game, really, to find out who was going to make it to the final. So I think from Cavan's point of view, they, they probably they'll really feel that they need to just uh, push things on a little bit. Uh, Nadine, I suppose yourself, you probably agree in some ways with, with Diane because Cavan, obviously, after making the final two years in a row, and then that defeat uh, against Waterford, you know, because they were really pushing hard to get promoted this year. Yeah, I suppose starting with the disappointments would have been Cavan, as you said. Um, Cavan overall kind of disappointed me in Division 2. was definitely expecting more from them. Um, they've kind of traditionally been a Division 2 team and a very strong team, and you'd always feel that they'll be in Parnell Park for that, that final, so that was a disappointment. Um, another disappointment that was obviously Leash, no more than Monaghan. Um, football and stronghold, as Diane mentioned, and to see them go down to Division 3 was very, very disappointing. Um, another disappointment for me, I suppose, on a, a single basis would have been Armagh's performance in that semi-final against Kerry. Um, it's disappointing to see Armagh be so poor without Caroline O'Hanlon. Uh, so that was a, a disappointment. And then I suppose highs just all about Waterford really winning the league and the manner in which they did it and I'm delighted for them um, to go up to Division 1 it's brilliant um, Clare as well are always a highlight for me I always see they just missed out on that semi-final spot um, they're always a highlight they always put in really really solid performances they always give you something to talk about and they always have class players especially their forwards so I imagine them to have some, some kind of say in the championship and um, uh, high and a low were Kerry um, you know great for them that they tried to bounce back straight away they had a solid league campaign a real high against Armagh in the semi-final when they weren't really tipped to beat Armagh um, but a big big low today for me I was just really disappointed with them um, and Tyrone mixed bag really um, it was nice as an Ulster woman to see them um, compete really well in Division 2 um, thought they would have pushed more and thought they would have made a semi-final so um, disappointing in that sense but overall they'll be happy and Wexford look Wexford held their own um, they'd be happy enough not getting relegated and um, they got a few wins so overall they kind of you know there wasn't really much to talk about in terms of Wexford but they'll be happy enough themselves to consolidate that Division 2 status Yeah so in Division 3 um, you know I suppose we, we already spoke about the final there Um I'll do what Nadine is doing now with highs and lows. I think from a high aspect, you're looking at the performance of me, but it wasn't unexpected. I mean, mm. we, we know the panel that they have. Um, I think from another high aspect, it was probably, I mean, down got a win against, um, down got a win against me, you know, in uh, one of the last games of the league. So I think, you know, that's really going to help down to try and refocus and just give them some energy now when they build up to Ulster Championship. Um, so there, they're probably a bit of a disappointment, but again, you know, they're missing their minor squad or left, you know, um, to concentrate on minors. And I think that they'll offer a lot more moving forward. Um, and, you know, they were very close as well to the semi-final position. And it all depended as well for Longford. That's another high. I mean, brand new team. Very, you know, a very young team. Yeah. New manager coming in, trying to make a huge amount of changes, but getting huge support from the clubs, getting huge support from the county board and huge support from the players. And they've made so many strides and positive uh, positive moves in their results throughout the year. I think um, from Roscommon's point of view, I was expecting to see them in the semi. Um, you know, and they did very well in terms of, I suppose, you know, getting as far as they did. But, you know, they're, they're probably going to need to, I think, improve a lot more you really would expect 
to see Roscommon really, really pushing hard as well as Kildare for um, for winning that division next year. Um, Offaly, I mean, they had mixed results as well throughout the season. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I suppose the, the biggest tie would have to be probably in terms of Meath and Sligo. You know, Sligo getting there into the final and the deficit and scores and the, the difference between the two standards of teams just kind of, you know, you just can't imagine that that was actually the final. I'm glad now, um, Diane, you did mention Longford because, um, you know, I mean biased, but when you think back to Andy Sheridan had said that he hoped Longford would meet the semi-finals of the, would make the semi-finals of the league. And this was a team that just about stayed up last year and stayed up in the intermediate. So it was a fantastic achievement for them. Nadine, yourself and Diane see things similar. So would you see Division 3 exactly like Diane would see it? Yeah, Diane, I suppose, has named and covered mo- most of the t- all of the teams mm. there, actually. So I suppose I'll just quickly go through my highs. Um, were me, obviously, the, the football they played. Um, and Emma Duggan, for me, kind of, I suppose, a new discovery. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would probably know her. I didn't know the young player before this league campaign. So that's a real high. I think she's going to be so exciting going forward. And I think it's a name that we'll be hearing for a long, long time. So the unearthing of that star, I suppose, is a high. Um, another high, as you both mentioned, is Longford. Um, struggling so, so much last year. And the great structures that have been put in place um, have shown that if you do have any kind of structure and backing in a county, that you can really achieve great things. So Longford will take great heart from that. That was a real high for me. Uh, Wicklow and Division 3 were a high for me as well. I thought they competed really well. Um, they pushed really hard in that division. They were unlucky not to make a semi. Um, and then Lowe's, I suppose. Um, I'm, being, I'm being very hard on Sligo, I suppose, in this podcast. But that performance yesterday um, was a real low. I don't think it represented what a Division 3 final should have been in terms of a competition. Um, so that was a low. Um, and yeah, Kildare. And I, I actually didn't realise that Kildare were playing the whole league without their minors. Um but for me, it was just a disappointing campaign for them because they are such a ladies' football, I suppose, stronghold of a team. You know, traditionally, they've always been much better. So their performance in Division 3 was probably a low. Um, but overall, look, it was a good division. Mead ran away with it. But other teams will definitely take heart on an individual level on what they did. Yeah, because apart from Mead, um, any of the games I've seen Longford playing, you know, teams were quite similar it was just that me were the difference um, between everyone else and it, as you said the players they have like Kelsey Nesbitt Stacey Grimes Vicky Wall um, Emma Duggan to me has just been I didn't oh. know Emma Duggan before uh, no. Division 3 and she's definitely a star for the future Diane we're going to head off to Division 4 we kind of put the hex on poor old Carlo because they were doing so well until we focused on them on the podcast and then it all went downhill from there. Antrim or Fermanagh, no one would have expected those two. Like Division 4, I'd say, just from knowing that I was, I was you know, when I was with Longford when we were in Division 4, it's so hard to win. Yeah. Um, you know, like other teams up in other divisions might be playing intermediate football and, you know, it just, it's, and some are playing senior, you know, but like the when you're looking at it, it's just so hard because each game, nearly anything can happen. Like you're, you're playing with people who are very equal to you in terms of their experience with their county. So it's actually very, very hard. Um, you know, Antrim did very well to get there, considering what their result was. You know, in the played for Mana just a couple of weeks prior, and they seemed to get a lot of things right. And you know, it's hard on them as well to have lost in the fashion that they did. But that was an absolute high for Antrim. I know for Mana quite well because when I was with Down, 
and Fermanagh went and played them three times in the one year and there was so little between us so from a coaching aspect we had we like uh, you know we just had to get everything tactically right to beat them because they're so renowned for having really good forwards fast pacey carriers at the ball and they're really you know they take their goal opportunities from the theirs that's why I, I enjoyed watching that yesterday as well and um, Loud you probably would have expected a bit more from Loud because you know the fact that they're in North Ireland final last year um, but the chances are you know they're and I know they're, they're trying new players as well in the team as well so I kind of probably expected a little bit more from them I also expected Limerick to have been in the final and I would have called it ages ago because I would have imagined that they were going to be in the final and um, that's a bit of a disappointment in a sense because I thought it would have made a little bit more progress um, in terms of driving on and as you said about Carlo yeah, we did. We put the hex on them now, and I'm sorry to say. But they will be happy. They definitely will be happy, I think, in, in, in the strides that they made. Like, they did make improvements. It's not a huge, big county for football. They're working on their underage, you know, and it's starting to show they have some great performances this year as well. Um, London, Kilkenny, and Derry, I mean, all of those teams, I, I would say potentially they, they'll always they'll say to themselves that we'd like to have done a little bit better, and mm. I'm sure who wouldn't? Everyone does. But Derry seems to have, have done quite well as well in their results this year. So I think the junior championship is going to be interesting with them in it. Um, but I suppose, yeah, like looking at Fermanagh yesterday and Antrim, you know, they're going to be seeing each other again, obviously, up in Ulster Championship. Um, I think my expectation would be you're going to see a big jump from, from Loud and especially Limerick um, in the next couple of months. Nadine, do you agree with Diane? Yeah, Diane has pretty much covered everything there in Division 4. So just on, I suppose, for me, a highlight was the final um, on Saturday. I thought um, it was a really, really good standard of football for Division 4, and I thought both teams quitted themselves really well. Um, good individual players on show and skill. Um, overall, it was, you know, it was a fine Division 4. I definitely agree with Diane that, you know, Louds especially, like Louds have really been knocking on the door for so, so many years. You'd love to see them get up a division even at least. You know, they've missed out on Crow Park in all Ireland final. So that was a disappointment. Um, Kilkenny, I don't think they've I, ever been up. I don't think Louds have ever been. In yeah, that's, you know, cause, and they've been in all Ireland final. So you'd really, you know, you're just waiting for them to get out of that division for for themselves you know and I think as well when you're like Loud you'd be knocking door to really get that next step up in terms of championship you have to win something you know you have to win your yeah. division four or something and I think if they did so that would be a really good building block for them you know you might get a few girls who aren't playing county football for whatever reasons you might get them into the championship panel if they feel there is some kind of momentum and there's some kind of hope so that was disappointing and um, I said it before on the podcast about Kilkenny. It's just really disappointing that their season just kept sliding and sliding and sliding. And, and I said it before, I really think they need a bit of help in terms of their structures going forward. Um, Leitrim were massively disappointing for me. Don't know what's going on down there. They got rid of the manager, you know, that, and then didn't back it up with, with results or performances. Um, so that, that was disappointing from a football fan point of view and even, you know, being involved in, in football for a long time, you don't really like to see that happen. Um, so that was a low. Um, but as Diane said, I'm sure Limerick and Louth we will see more of. And I think it'll be a competitive junior championship. I'd hope so anyway. Um, add London. I got London into the mix of that this year too. You know, they always give teams um, good games come championships. So that should give it a lift as well. 
I suppose the league overall, when we look at games and everything, it does whet our appetite, Diane, for the championship. Yeah, and there's a lot of things happening at the moment. And I suppose even talking to Jackie Mulligan, um, you know, the last podcast, they talked, you know, about the support that they're getting. Yeah. I just noticed on social media um, this week that for the final, um, you know, Sligo had each player and even members of the management sponsored. Yeah. So probably to cover their expenses of, of travelling up and maybe staying over and stuff like that. So like all of these things are really, really helpful. I think that, you know, it's just there's so much happening. It's such a great place to be. And girls really want to get out there and play for their county now. Um, I mean, um, Nadine, I saw you commented on it yesterday. You shared it. Um, it was an interview with Clina Foley. That oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, these girls are training. This is the core team are training six times a week. Yeah. That's a crazy amount of commitment, you know. Yeah. And, but players are doing it. And it's just, it's such a vibrant place to be and an exciting place to be in. I suppose that's why we all love it so much. Um, it's just the excitement around it. And, you know, I suppose from my point of view, I was really hoping that Mayo would have, would have got to a league final this year because then you're left with like six or seven weeks where you're just waiting, 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 waiting. When's the football going to start back? Yeah. So. Yeah, and you can lose people along the way. You know, um, I wonder if that break had any kind of influence on the Kelly's decision to, um, to go to the Southern Hemisphere next season, you know, where they may be looking, oh, look, is it going to be this, a similar league campaign next year? Um, look, will look will we make Sheridan. this decision? Like yeah. Exactly what you're saying, like Ashley Sheridan is now, you know, you could nearly say whether it was pre-planned or not, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, th- I think, um, though Mayo would probably miss the Kellys more so than, than Cavan missing Ashley. With all due respect, Ashley, but I feel in terms of challenging for honours, um, Mayo would probably see themselves as, as bigger contenders, let's say, than Cavan. And I feel with the loss of the Kellys next year and Sarah Rowe for the league, I think Mayo are really going to struggle in the league next year. You have no faith in Nadine Doherty. No, I, that's, I, you know, but what's your opinion on it? I do. I, yeah. I feel they will, Diane, to be honest, because, you know, especially yeah. the Kellys. It's very hard to replace three players like that. Very Absolutely. hard. Yeah, yeah. It is. it is really, really hard. And, you know, Mayo, one or two results, would have made a huge difference and they could have ended, in, ended up in Division 2. Exactly. It might have yeah. the very tail end of the league as they've had with, the, I suppose, the obstacles and, and struggles they've had. But, you know, I suppose the other thing is, I mean, like, that's, that's the Kelly, Sarah Rowe. I mean, you know, we could start naming them all, but there's going to be more. Yeah. And without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be, say, a lot more going across over to Australia. So the league yeah. is is probably going to lose a lot of uh, top names like they did this year, but that's just the start of it. Yeah. Diane, we know you're over here in Ireland, unfortunately. I'd say you'd love to be over in New York um, singing the Green and Red of Mayo in Times Square with all your fellow Mayo people. Yeah, God, it looks amazing over there. Like, you know, no matter what county will go over to New York, whether it be Sligo or Leitrim or whoever, Galway, it doesn't matter. You know, local supporters are just really just dying to make that trip across because sure you know we, everyone loves New York like and we all know yeah. people that have, that have emigrated over there or worked over there for summers or played over there just had the experience of a lifetime whatever it might be and you can just you just know how welcoming people are to the Irish and how welcoming the Irish are to everyone else and sure everyone has cousins or relations or whatever so it's just it's such a huge event for all the supporters that have made their way over there uh, and it's very like it's brilliant to see that they t- took over Times Square and I saw it on social media I think the kind of Telegraph had it on earlier 
where um, Martin Morrissey was doing an interview and they were singing the green and red of mail in Times Square. Nadine, you can't bring them anywhere, can you? Them Mayo people. Oh, no, it was sure. The joke, the joke is always, you know, wherever you go, there's always one in a Mayo jersey, um, be it in Times Square, be it wherever it is. And you do, you always see one no matter where you are. And got 2,000 of them in, in Times Square now, I think that kind of takes the biscuit. But well, if you see anyone no. in a Longford jersey at Gaelic Park yeah, today, that's, that's my friend like, Fiona. But it's, as, as, as uh, Diane said, like, it's a great occasion for people going over. Yeah. But I, I actually, when I lived there, um, I remember being over there for a few of those weekends. Um, it was the Sligo. Sligo came over one year and then another year was over. Uh, Leitrim came over and the crack, like, it's just great. And people, as Diane said, emigrants who are living there, they yeah. really look forward to it as well. It's a real highlight. Um, of the Gaelic Park calendar over there, and and it's great, and always a good match. You know, it's only I suppose Mayo in recent years have have kind of made sure that that the games haven't been that close. But there were years there where there was a point or two in it when the Sligo and Leitrim to come over, and it's great. It really is. It's great, and it keeps Gaelic Gaelic Park ticking over over there, and it keeps Gaelic football ticking over over there because you do have lads who play county football at home, and then they're they're training away with New York. You know, maybe it is for one day, but it's still something for them to focus on for a couple of months beforehand. So it's a really important day in the J calendar, and long may it last. And you know what? I think we actually, because we're giving New York, New York another plug, I think we should do a podcast maybe there as one of the days, you know, some of the days. Oh, yeah, yeah. We you know, the pig and whistle, some of the, some of the Longford lads. Yeah, some of the lads now, you know, pubs over there were available for gigs and all that. There's a lot of security for them to let you out of the country and to let you into the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse sure me. Us, us Longford people are allowed to go anywhere, so it's all right. Diane, we spoke about the girls going over to Australia and how things have been going so well. But unfortunately, your former teammate, um, Cora Staunton, she suffered a, a nasty injury. And I suppose, you know, us here at Sports Girls Podcast would like to wish her the best um, in her recovery. Yeah, it looks like um, that it's her tibia and fibula that's, mm. that's, um, that's broken. So, you know, that's Cora. Like, no matter what it was, I'm sure she went 100%. And you have to hand it to her like she's, She's in the, I suppose, the physical shape of her life. She's training professionally over there with Giants. And I think that, like, in terms of, you know, once she gets the procedure done, I'd say she'll be working very, very hard to get back. I mean, I've seen Cora play with ACL ruptures. Um, she's managed to keep them at bay for two years before she get the operation by just strapping alone and by spending hours upon hours in the gym. There probably isn't an athlete like her that would be as committed to bouncing back, you know, from this you know, between her and Claire Egan, like some of the most horrific injuries they've suffered and they just bounced back like and I think that's just a credit to Cora like in, in terms of her attitude and everything. And um, you know, I wish her the very, very best in her recovery as well. Yeah, Nadine, it's a nasty injury. Yeah. Spread one bone is bad enough, but both of them in the leg. Ah, uh, yeah, it's it really is sad, sad news and best wishes to Cora um, and I think her shoulder as well I think she injured that slightly there was a report um, the only positive side for her in this I suppose is that she signed her contract with the Giants for next year so she'll get the best yeah. rehab you know the best care over there and um, that's the only positive and you'd hope that it isn't the end for her um, I know Carnicone will really really miss her this year in the club championship you know they would have been banking on her coming home but she you'd hope for she might be back yet, yeah, not likely, but 
you know, if they do make it to the Connacht stage, I suppose that's what six odd months away or whatever it is. Um, but you'd hope that she does make it back and gets to play some kind of Gaelic football or Aussie rules football um, before she finishes up. I think she'll be um, 37 soon. So, um, you know, if anybody can do it, I suppose Cora can. Say Cora is one of, one of the people who can because mentally and physically she'd be very strong. So, um, for, for all sports fans, I'm sure everybody's hoping that she does make it back. Well, listen, Diane and Nadine, thank you so much for this evening and for everything over the last few weeks and months. We will be back, the three of us, we're like the three amigos, uh, very soon as we get ready for the championship and we'll be going to uh, various games around the country as well. So until then, Slongafol.